The coronavirus pandemic has hit the New York region particularly hard. The states of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts are most of the country's leaders in cases per million and deaths per million. In these states, schools are closed, sport gyms are closed, businesses are closed, and on the good news side, the sky is blue and free of car and industrial pollution. Nor does it take long to go anywhere you want to go these days. The few cars on the road are distancing themselves very nicely from one another. But there is one state outside the Northeast that ranks high on the coronavirus list, and that's Louisiana. I learned this morning that there are 415 deaths per million residents in Louisiana at this point. Now that's behind my home state of Massachusetts, which has about 600, uh, but it's still very high. So I thought it would be interesting to compare notes on the virus and how the public and, and the state is responding to the virus with uh, an old friend and a longtime Louisiana resident, uh, Michael Henderson, who uh, has conducted some surveys in Louisiana about the virus and is a professor of political science and research director of the public policy research lab at Manship School of Mass Communications at Louisiana State University. So Michael, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thanks for having me. So Michael, the Boston Globe uh, reports that uh, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker is getting high marks for handling the pandemic and uh, for firmly shutting down the state. Uh, but this is a left liberal New England state. What's the public opinion like in Louisiana? Uh, well, you know, people give the governor here um, pretty high marks, or I should say the state government as a whole, uh, pretty high marks for its, um, for its response. Um, you know, we're north of two thirds of, of state residents um, approve of how the state has been handling um, the response to the coronavirus outbreak in Louisiana. And that's interesting because, you know, we have a Democratic governor here in an otherwise pretty red state. So is this uh, going to persist, do you think? Or is uh, there going to be some waning of public support for a pretty tight uh, regime. I'm assuming that you have pretty tight regulation in Louisiana as well. We do. We've had a, a stay-at-home order in place for a number of weeks now. Um, they modified it slightly uh, late last week um, uh, as, we, as we moved into May, but for the most part, it's, it's very much in place as it was during April. Um, the, 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 the requirements are that, you know, people really should shelter in place and, and only leave home for a number of, of exceptions that have to do with getting food, getting medication, getting health care, going to work if you're an essential employee, uh, providing care for, for a, a relative. Um, but other than that kind of thing, you're really not supposed to be, supposed to be leaving home. Um, schools have been closed. Lots of businesses are closed. Um, many government offices are closed. So that's all been in place. Um, and so far, people seem to support it. We asked people about um, support for these kinds of measures. And uh, it's about uh, three to one who say, no, this is the right thing. This is what we need to, need to keep doing for now. It'll be interesting to see what happens as we move forward, because really, uh, the governor had a um, you know, had a press conference, um, I guess a little over a week ago, because the, the order that had been in place was set to expire um, at the end of April. And so he announced, um, uh, I believe it was early last week, that we weren't where we needed to be yet to um, fit in with the, the phases that the federal government has outlined for, for gradually reopening. Um, and so the order is extended till May 15th. And after that, we started to see some 
um, Republican leadership in state government, uh, legislature and whatnot, kind of making some rumblings, saying it was time to move more quickly. So we may start to see some politics around this, um, but it's been pretty, pretty, um, pretty, pretty strong consensus up to this point. You haven't seen any uh, demonstrations. We had one before the state house uh, that was organized by a talk show guy and he got a few people out. I don't think they had much of an impact, but uh, that was some sign of unrest in Massachusetts, nothing like that in Louisiana. We so far really just won. Um, there was one in front of the governor's mansion this past weekend and it drew about 250 individuals. So pretty small, nothing along the lines of what we've seen in places like Michigan. Um, pretty small, that's the one, uh, the one sort of protest that, um, that's really been, you know, in any way seen around state government action. Well, are people complying? Did your poll ask people whether they were doing what they were told to do or are they sneaking out anyhow? Yeah, yeah. so we, um, we, we really tried to get at this a couple of different ways. One is we, we took a question that the, um, the Kaiser Family Foundation, which has been doing great polling over the last six to eight weeks on how people are responding to um, COVID-19, uh, nationally. So we took a couple of questions from them, and one of which was a sort of a generic question on, you know, have you been, you know, have you been sheltering in place? Have you only been leaving for essential activities such as, um, you know, getting food, medical supplies? Um, <clears throat> and much like the national numbers, we saw like 80% of people say, well, of course I've been doing that. I haven't been doing anything wrong. And, you know, one in five saying, well, I've gone out a little bit. Um, but we want to do a little bit more than that. So we also asked people a battery of specific reasons they may have left their home. There's about 15, and, and most of them were things that are allowed under the stay-at-home order, uh, maybe 12 items, and then a few that are not allowed, specifically prohibited. And then we have this sort of catch-all for any other reason, so anything that was not covered in the stay-at-home order as an exception. And then we ask people how often in the past two weeks they've left their home for those things. So if you kind of look at it all combined at the, at the reasons that don't qualify as an exception, uh, half of people say they have not left their home in the previous two weeks to do things like socialize with friends, um, to, go to, uh, go to go to church or for any of these non-accepted reasons. Um, and then about another 30% say they've done it once a week or less in the previous two weeks. Um, and then again, 20% who are saying they're going um, even more frequently than that. So compliance, I would say, is kind of mixed. So are people afraid? Do you get a sense that there's a lot of fear out there, that they're concerned? Uh, or are they just sort of trying to be good citizens? Um, so we do find there's some, some fear and some anxiety. We asked specifically if people were feeling anxiety um, and if people were feeling afraid. Uh, and you get majorities, not quite as much as I would have expected, but, but, um, but, but pretty high up there in terms of the share of people who say they're anxious over this, um, the share who say that they're um, scared about this. And specifically when we ask people if they're worried that they themselves will be infected or someone in their family, um, you have about three-fourths of, of state residents say they're, they're worried about specifically about that. So how about the schools? Uh, in Boston, uh, the schools are pretty much turning over education to the parents. They have some stuff up online which you can download, but the teachers are not being very uh, much engaged. The union doesn't want the teachers to be overworked during this period of time because they have children of their own, some of them. And so actually you're getting 
you know, no very aggressive instruction that, that, that I can uh, uh, track. And I'm doing this through my grandchildren. And the word I'm getting back is that, you know, it's pretty much up to mom and dad. Yeah, so um, the, the schools have been closed um, really since mid-March. Uh, and there was, we've gone through sort of these three phases as that closure got extended until finally a few weeks ago it was extended to go through the end of the school year. Um, and what we have here is a tremendous amount of heterogeneity across school districts and how they are responding in terms of the amount of uh, instruction they're attempting to engage in. Um, the heterogeneity early on was really had a lot to do with whether or not school districts were trying to do anything. Uh, some were and some weren't. Now they're pretty much all trying to do something, um, but there's a lot of heterogeneity in terms of uh, what we might say the rigor of that is, or the engagement of teachers with ch with children, uh, how much that's happening, and with um, whether or not they're focusing on review or moving on to new new material. So there's a lot of heterogeneity. There's really it's hard to say that sort of in Louisiana this is the model because we're seeing just a tremendous amount of variation across the 69 school districts and the public charter schools in the state. Well, where is it? Do you know where they're doing the best job of it in Louisiana? Is it better in New Orleans? It is in Baton Rouge, or we don't have a whole lot of. So most of what we know about the variations really comes from two sources. Uh, one is the State Department of Education did survey districts um, for uh, to find out what they're doing, and so we have that. But that that data doesn't tell us which districts are doing what. Um, but when you pair that anecdotally. Um, we know that what you hear from news reports and whatnot, you know that certain districts are doing less and certain districts are doing more. Um, I don't know that there's a tremendous amount of sort of uh, concentration in like these this handful of districts. Um, New Orleans is a little bit harder to say because there's so many charter schools there. And so because we don't know specifically how each individual, what we, you know, local educational uh, authority, which could either be the district or in the case of a charter school, the charter school, we don't necessarily know what a specific entity is doing. Um, it's hard to say that, you know, oh, across the board, the charter schools in New Orleans are doing a really good job. I know there's anecdotal evidence that um, at least a number of the charter schools in Baton Rouge um, really hit the ground running um, with trying to set up their students with the technology they would need uh, to deliver distance learning um, digitally. So you're a parent. Uh, so what are the biggest challenges that parents are facing uh, in this situation? Well, for, I mean, I can tell you for my, my, the sake of, from the perspective of my family, it's a, it's a matter of balancing um, time, you know, instructing children and time working from home. Um, but again, there's just, there's just like there's heterogeneity in what districts are doing. There's a lot of heterogeneity across Louisiana, uh, both in terms of employment, um, household size, um, two parent families versus one parent families. Um, and in terms of uh, technological access. Uh, and so, you know, the challenges that I find, and I'll say that my, my children are in private school and Catholic school. Um, Louisiana has a pretty high share, a high Catholic, enroll, Catholic school enrollment. And generally the Catholic school, uh, the, the diocese throughout the state tend to follow what the public schools do. So our schedule has been very much online with what the state has done, not in terms of what the school is doing, but in terms of the closure and the extent of the closure. Um, and so my children's school has been providing uh, uh, instruction, instructional materials for the parents to help execute, uh, particularly with my younger son in first grade. Um, and in, in that, it's, it's, it's the matter, the challenge from my perspective is balancing 
homework and, and schoolwork. Um, but I imagine for other families throughout the state, they're, they're facing a different set of challenges. So is there any hope that the schools will reopen this spring or this early summer? No, not this spring. The, um, the governor has already issued uh, an extension of the closure through the end of the academic school year. So this spring is off the table. It was a pretty significant move. It really changed that that announcement was probably the key moment that changed the dynamics of how districts are responding um, in terms of what they're trying to do for students. Um, so that was a, that was a key moment. Um, in terms of what happens next, that is something that's going to vary from district to district. And in fact, one of the interesting things that's been happening in Louisiana in all this is we're seeing, um, and again, this ties back to heterogeneity across districts and responses. We're seeing a fair amount of local decision-making. And in Louisiana over the past couple of decades, there was an increasing shift of uh, policy-making authority to up in education up to the state um, and less, less at the local level. We're kind of seeing a move in the opposite direction for now. And so districts are still deciding for themselves whether or not they are going to try to launch summer school programs, what those might look like, the extent to which they would be required, uh, how extensive they would be. There is widespread concern across the state that having the schools themselves closed for essentially nine weeks of the end of this current academic year, given what we know about the differences across districts in terms of what they're doing, but also what we know about um, Louisiana tends to lag in, in, in internet access and broadband access. We're, we're one of the one of the poorest performing states in that regard. And we also have one of the largest digital divides across racial and other socioeconomic characteristics. So there's some concerns that there will be some students who will have been left behind. Um, and so districts are trying to figure out how to deal with that. And one of the big things they're talking about is, is summer school options, as well as talking about whether or not they'll start the school year earlier next year. Um, but there's challenges associated with that as well. But there's no talk of not having school next year. Right now, the conversations are about school happening next year. Um, of course, we don't know how things will develop, whether or not it will, it will look like what we're doing now. Um, but the talk is about what can school districts do, what can the state do to provide for instructional activities next school year. Um, and until we see, you know, what, what things might look like, I guess we won't have final determinations on whether or not schools will be open. Um, there's conversations about like how might schools handle um, uh, smaller um, groups, um, you know, fewer students in a room. Um, and so that, that certainly suggests that the idea that students could be in brick and mortar buildings next year is, is still on the table, um, but of course, this is all changing so rapidly. So uh, how about the media? How are, is the media finding a new crisis every day or are they optimistic? Do they, uh, the things, are the, uh, is the, tre the trend line is going down uh, around the country and in Louisiana. Uh, so how's the media handling the situation? Well, I mean, I would think the, I would say that the media in Louisiana has behaved, you know, pretty much the way that you would expect. I mean, I, so Louisiana tends to have a pretty strong, um, this is, this is one of the places where Louisiana is, again, a little bit unusual, in this case, a beneficial way. 
they tend to have a pretty strong uh, state house core of, of journalists, um, some folks that have been around a long time and they're well staffed, which is an exception. A lot of states have moved in the other direction, um, just with the nature of the changing media uh, industry. Um, Louisiana has been somewhat of an exception to that. Um, and so the coverage, I would say, has largely been responsible, but of course, media is media and, and dramatic stories are going to get attention. Now in Louisiana, we've had, because we had such a dramatic outbreak, we've had um, dramatic stories. Um, <clears throat> and so you see your daily dose of, you know, this is what the, uh, the, the, um, the for a long time, was your sort of daily update on sort of what the outbreak is, the number of deaths. Um, but I wouldn't say any of that has been sort of over-sensationalized. So for example, here in Baton Rouge, we're now seeing more coverage of sort of, of, of about um, the, the rise of the death counts in, in Baton Rouge, um, because as overall the state's moving in the right direction in, in Baton Rouge too, um, Baton Rouge has sort of become uh, a bigger outbreak um, lagging behind New Orleans. And so as we've seen sort of New Orleans shift down, now attention's turning to other parts of the state that had not started to shift down quite as rapidly. And so Baton Rouge is one of those places. Um, so you, you get you get that you get coverage about things that are going on. Um, there's been a lot of stories about um, nursing homes. Uh, but again, what's happened in a lot of Louisiana nursing homes have been alarming stories. So so I don't know that I would say it's been over sensationalized. It's just we happen to be in this state at this time, pretty pretty dramatic events to be covered. So uh, you know the uh the situation in Louisiana is unusual for most of the country. Uh, is there a blame thing? I mean, does somebody get the blame for why it is that Louisiana looks a lot different than, um, you know, Oklahoma or, or your neighbor, other neighboring states? Right. So I don't know what the um, what the epidemiologists or the public health uh, uh, folks would will, will ultimately say in this regard. I know. The talk, uh, the discussion has been suggestive, given, especially given how um, really the initial and largest uh, center of outbreak in the state was in New Orleans. Uh, there's uh, talk about how um, the uh, Mardi Gras season may have played a role in that. We have a Mardi Gras, uh, we get a lot of tourists from across the country and across the world uh, that come particularly to the New Orleans area for the Mardi Gras season, which lasts for a number of weeks, culminating in Mardi Gras the day itself. And that was a time when in the United States, it didn't look like we had a lot of outbreak, um, though it was happening in other parts of the world. And so some suggestion is that that was sort of why we got such a big, big outbreak here in Louisiana, uh, as opposed to what you'd see in neighboring Mississippi or Texas or Arkansas. So, well, uh, you know, I do hope that you can celebrate the Mardi Gras again next year. I hope things are under control by that time. Uh, but thank you very much for uh, joining me on the Education Exchange, Michael. Thank you for having me, Paul. So I've been speaking with Michael Henderson, Professor of Political Science and Research Director of the Public Policy Research Lab at Manship School of Mass Communication at Louisiana State University. He has just released a new survey of uh, public opinion in Louisiana on the current uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, so uh, thank you, Michael, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday when a new podcast is released on the Education Next website.